Jesus said, if you love me, my, we'll love you too. We'll come in and we'll reveal ourselves to you. And I think my prayer recently has been, Lord, anything in my life that's... The Bible, Paul said that he is light and in him there's no darkness at all. I, John said that. So I, I've been praying. I said, Lord unravel anything in my life that may be there because of a consistent wrong thought teaching or a a wrong belief. Anything that I believe, Lord, that's not in agreement with what you, who you are and what you want to do in me, Lord, I just want you to, to, to eradicate anything that's dark, anything in my life, any, any thought process, I'm telling you, it's been, a, it's been a joyful journey. Not that I'm perfect, because we're not, but God is, he were, the Bible said the pathway of the righteous grows brighter and brighter under the perfect day. So, so what does that mean? What, what does that mean for us? Now, I want to read something for you, and, and uh, I, I believe that tonight I'm going to talk about the power of the blood covenant. Um, this was a letter that was written, but there was some questions. You know, I remember growing up when I was 15 years old, my dad let me buy a 1951 Ford with a slant V8. It had bucket seats and a Hearst shifter in it. And I bought it from his boss man. It would run great. I remember having my buddies in the car down on the dirt road. I'm still, I don't have my license yet, but I cleaned out a cornfield with it. And because uh, I took the curve too fast, and uh, I learned how to change universal joints in that car. And because uh, I was driving down Pondale Road one day, and 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 all of a sudden the back end just went poof like that, and I re- I saw the tra- the drive shaft rolling down the highway, and <laughs> so so you, there were other times when I would drive it, you know, and. It would just quit. Man, I thought, man, I paid too much for this car. $300, you know. (laughs) It shouldn't be quitting like this. Something's missing. I found out it was gas. (laughs) It won't run without gas. So a lot of times in our Christian life, I remember being in a world as I was, I was growing up, you know, I've been in ministry. I've done, Daddy took me, taught me how to play the guitar when I was 11. I've been doing ministry in church for 57 years. And I've uh, been, been preaching for almost 30. And boy, where did the time go? But I'm still open to the, to the truth and the teaching, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I never want to, to have the appearance or or even pretend, presume to God that, that I've arrived. I want to always be, you know, it, it's like you get overwhelmed by his presence because his heart is to just love on us. And uh, so I, I've got a, something that, that I want to read to you that I believe that will be a blessing to you because I, I think maybe, well, I had it. Where did it go? I'll find it again because we got to go. We got to do this. There it is. It's at the end. Go back over here. 
So when we think about the blood, my, my daughter asked me tonight, said, what you preaching on? What you teaching on tonight, Dad? I, I told her. And so we began to talk about um, the covenant. You know, when I talked about David and Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth didn't do anything to earn the palace. As a matter of fact, he was dropped by his nursemaid. He was the son of Jonathan. And, and, and so when we think about that, this covenant that we're in with, with the Father, it's, it's unequal. It's unequal. Because I really don't have anything to offer except me. That's not why he brought me into covenant, because I had something to offer. He brought me into covenant because of this passionate love. He brought you into covenant because of that, that this passionate love that the Father has for his creation. And, you know, when you think about Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, there's scriptures galore. You know, um, Colossians 1, uh, 17 says, for by him and for him were all things created, and without him, by him, all things are in him. All things consist. So, so you think about this great big universe, this full of galaxies, billions of stars, and the sun that rises in the mornings, and the moon. The other day I was taking a picture of the moon while the sun was setting and the clouds around the moon were orange because the reflection of the sun was hitting the clouds. And I thought only God can paint a picture like that. And, and, and I said, I, I, we're, I'm looking at the same moon <laughs> and the same sun gives us light that gave the patriarchs light. <laughs> it's still thousands of years ago and it's still, they're still working. Because God put him in place and his faithfulness. So we begin to think about some questions. What, what is for me? What is the gospel? What is the good news? For a long time, I thought it was about, about praying the sinner's prayer so I wouldn't have to go to hell and I could go to heaven. But I found out it's so much more than that. What about, and we talked about this Sunday, what about living while I'm waiting to go to heaven. What, what, how can I have heaven while I'm waiting to go to heaven? And I can tell you that I can look back on this journey. And I wouldn't trade where the fathers brought me to for all the money in the world. I wouldn't go back to any spot. Because I'm in a place where I told my family tonight before I came. I said... How, how else can you describe how God is providing for eight people in one house where the food bill is doubled and the, and the power bill is doubled and the water bill is doubled? How, how, we, we, we never, he never missed a lick. You know why? Because we're in covenant with him. We're in covenant. When you love what God loves, and, and, and two of those people are in the house so that we can show them the love of the Father. Just like Hosea was supposed to go marry Gomer so he could find out, she could find out what the love of the father's like. And, and so here's the question. So what we believe to be the gospel, if it's not the power of God into salvation, 
then we need to ask, do I really understand it? Because Paul said, it's the power of God unto salvation. And I'm going to qualify this in a minute. So what is biblical faith? For many, it's kind of like the righteous version of the faith spoken by the, of the writers of self-help books. I've read some of those books. How to have faith. How to, and I've met some of those people who really majored on faith where I wondered, okay, where's Jesus in all of this? He, he's got to be the center of all of this. Thank you, Timothy. Uh, it's okay, man. Servant. Thank you. Son. Servant son. So, so what is faith? Biblical faith. I, I think it's a lot more than the religious version of the faith that's spoken by those writers. And I'm not knocking anybody. So how do you stop being terrified of God and begin to truly love him? There was a time I was afraid. I was afraid of God. That's why I got saved so many times growing up. Because <laughs> I was afraid of the repercussions that I really had disappointed him. As a teenager especially, you know, cleaning out the cornfield in a 1951 Ford Slant V8, I thought, man, so... My dad never beat me up about that either. He was okay. And so think about this. So how, what did Jesus mean when he said this phrase, I in you and you in me. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot more going on right here than church, than just going to church. I in you. And you and me. I, in that day, you're going to know that I'm in the Father. And that you're in me. And I'm in you. Wow. I can't tell you how many times I've probably underestimated the truth of what that means. And so it was almost like I was taught. God's up here and I'm down here and I'm separated and I got to figure out how to get it right so I can get to where God is. And many religious circles hammer on that every week, but I want to challenge. This has been my challenge. So how do we overcome temptation? Is it a matter of strong willpower or determination? I've tried that. How's it possible to love unlovable people how can you love someone who is unlovable how do you love like jesus loves us how do you do that so i'm just asking questions same questions i've had how can we forgive the unforgivable how can we do that so there's there's something that i think the lord wants us to know so our tanks are full. So we don't, we don't be like me. I, something's, not, something's missing. In my walk with the Lord, there's been a times when I said, something's just not right. I, I, I need to. So I begin to pray, Holy Spirit, show me where that peace that passes all understanding. Show me how to walk in that kind of love where I can love people unexpectedly when they don't expect it's coming like you do. 
And, and so I think he's teaching her, teaching us. So I'm going to share a letter with you that a pastor received. And I, I want to let us just take this into perspective before I get into what I want to share with you. It says, Dear Malcolm is the pastor. You don't know who I am, and I've never met you, but a friend of mine told me he has been greatly helped by your teaching, and the, he gave me your address and urged me to write. I trust you'll read this letter and give me some answers. I'm writing you because my Christian life is a disaster and I have nowhere to turn. I wonder how many people who are in the Christian arena who feel that way. I'm not saying anybody here does, but just let's be, uh, just, just listen. He says, he says, I'm in a position of leadership in my church. And if I shared with the pastor or any of the deacons the way my life is, I don't know what would happen. I know I would no longer be welcome in the church. That's a tragedy. He said, I pray that you'll read this and be able to help me. Let me say up front that if you saw me in the context of the church and the weekly meetings and church social gatherings with other church members or teaching the this Sunday school class that I teach, you would never imagine that I'm not the person you see. I didn't set out to be a hypocrite. From the very first, I gave my very best to live for Jesus. I've disciplined myself to pray every day, read, and even memorize the scripture. I honestly set out every week to live for Jesus, but I fail every time. The life that my family and the people I work with see is very different from the one that I portrayed before the church. I have a terrible temper that I cannot control, however much I try. I wrestle every day with lustful thoughts, and when I'm out of town on business, I watch pornographic movies in the hotel room. I have a brother I've not spoken to in 20 years and cannot bring myself to forgive because of the betrayal of confidence that deeply hurt me. If Christianity is loving as Jesus loved, then count me out. But above all, I don't love God. I do not love God. I don't find joy in my prayer or Bible reading. It is something I do. It's pretty graphic and strong, isn't it? He said, it's something I do because I've been told that it will nurture my Christian life, but my heart's not in keeping his commands and being with him. In fact, there are times I have to admit that I envy the world. They look a lot happier than I ever will feel. Maybe I've continued to live this way for the last 10 years because in the church, I can get by with a veneer that satisfies my peers and leaders. You know what I meant by veneer, the rules of the subculture we evangelicals are part of. I went over them the other day. We are the people who do not do certain things. We don't go to certain places. We don't smoke or drink liquor. We don't dress like the world, especially our poor women. As long as I keep those rules, everyone thinks I'm a great Christian. But in the last weeks, I've faced myself and realized the Bible primarily addresses my thoughts, motives, and relationships, not so much the list that I spend my life trying to keep and have been given by the church. Isn't that true? That's, that's so, boy, I, I grew up hearing a lot of that. So he said, above all, it commands me to love God and delight in him, to obey his commands out of love for him. I miserably fail. Malcolm, the truth is I don't love God. It would be more correct to say that I'm afraid of him. And I go to church and pray because I'm afraid if I do, don't, I'll go to hell. I look around at the others in my church, even my friends, and wonder if they're living in the same craziness that I am and why not. They do not know what I'm really like. Do they scream at their kids and sneak 
uh, those things in when nobody's watching? Do they go through all the words and motions on Sunday while their heart is untouched without love for God? Is their religious life like mine, just a millimeter thick mask over the real person underneath? There have been times when I think that I have had an experience of God at special meetings when, when hands have been laid on me. I felt warm glow inside the flickering of a joy that's lasted for a couple of weeks and I've wondered if that's how real Christians feel all the time. At times I've heard a message that lays out a formula for living as a victorious Christian and I've tried tried it but it feels artificial when I try to live it out with the guys in the office. All my spurts of hope that I can live this life are dead and ends and leave me in greater despair than before. In the last weeks, I've looked at myself and evaluated what my life is really like. It's left me in utter despair. This letter is my last attempt to ask someone I can trust if the Christian life can be lived by ordinary people like my friends and me. Tell me honestly, Malcolm, is it for a few unusual people who do not have the desires that we have, who really do hate the world and love God? If it is for everyone, if it is for everyone, then is there something I've missed? Is there a level of dedication or an experience I need to have that will finally get me into living the Christian life? Or is my life as I've tried to describe it to you as good as it gets? If my experience of Christianity is as good as it gets, then I'll quietly walk away from it all. I can no longer live a life that is so incredibly shallow and meaningless. Please be honest with me, Malcolm. If you tell me that that this is the way Christianity really works out in practice, I'll not tell anyone you said so. I'll burn your letter and drop out. There's a Bible study and prayer meeting at the church tonight. I don't want to go. In fact, I've no interest in being there. If I go, it's because I don't want to go through the hassle of being asked by the pastor why I was not there having my friends think I'm backsliding but I think I will stay home because I'm sick of this game please answer me and and be honest with me whatever the answer is thank you Bob it's pretty stark and pretty incredible but I had to think man I've met people who struggle with that who threw in the towel because they thought that's all there was and they couldn't live up to the standard but I found something that I believe has been missing in a lot of a lot of those kind of people's lives, and I want to take you uh, to some to some uh, scripture that I believe is really going to be a blessing to you. Um, first of all, God's intentions are really, really amazing. His intentions, the original intentions for you and me, was. In the Garden of Eden. The, the Garden of, of Eden is like paradise. You know, one thing that Adam and Eve had, they, they were, they, the Lord blessed them. He gave them dominion over any. They had no lack. There was nothing they lacked. But there's one thing that they had that they couldn't live without. And that was their dependence on God, dependence on their creator. And there's so many people who live and don't acknowledge that. I met young men who said, I don't believe in God. And I told one young man, I said, well, you have to be God to prove he don't exist. He said, you'd have to be God to prove he does. I said, no, I just, you just got to have an open heart. I said, he'll show you he exists. And, and so, so I, I think the... The beauty of this, and this, 
this young man, you know, we, we had a great, I told him, I said, I want you to know, I'm not, I'm not judging you because of what you believe. I, I still feel the same way about you. I love you. And, uh, and, and I'll always be your friend. And, and so you, you have to, we have to not put up the walls because we don't know when we, we're going to have, have that opportunity again with the same person. I've seen it work too many times where God brings it back around and something amazing happens when the Holy Spirit opens the eyes and, and it comes, they come out of darkness. So, so when you think about these things, I want to show you something that really has encouraged me. It's been amazing. Uh, first, let's go to Colossians 1. And we're going to talk about covenant. Colossians. This is Paul writing. Yeah, chapter one, I think it's down in, let's see. Start with 15, verse 15. The passion says, let's read it from the Amplified. Now he is the exact likeness of the unseen God, who? Jesus. The visible representation of the invisible. He's the firstborn of all creation, for it was in him that all things were created. In heaven and on earth, things seen and things unseen, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created and they exist through him, by his service, intervention, and in and for him. He himself existed before all things. Heard a question, where did God come from? He's in eternity. He's never had a beginning. And he'll never have an end. He's been there. The Father, Son, and Spirit have been there forever. In all eternity. He, he himself existed before all things. And in him all things consist or cohere or held together. This universe, all the galaxies, the stars, and, and, and this earth. He's holding it. My life, your life. It's being held together by him. He is amazing. He's also the head of his body, the church. Seeing he's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that he alone in everything, in every respect, might occupy the chief place, stand first and pre be preeminent. King James says he, that he might have the preeminence, which is first place. For it pleased the Father that all the divine fullness, the sum total of the divine perfection, powers, and attributes should dwell in Him permanently. Whoa. Now let's look at, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5.19. Now, you know, we have to have a beginning, right? It matters where we start. So I'm taking you back before the beginning because I believe this is a really good starting place. It says verse 19, it was, Paul said, it was God personally present in Christ. 
God was in Christ reconciling the world, bringing the world back into favor, bringing, that's before we did anything. He didn't say the good Christian. He wasn't here bringing the Christian into, he says the world, the cosmos. That's what it means, the cosmos. To favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation of the restoration to favor. So we're Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador represents the, the home country and speaks the language of the home country. Wow. Has all the resources of the home country. Come on, this is good stuff. This is what covenant does. Has all the resources of the, of the homeland so that we can, we can bring the kingdom of God to bear in the earth. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, let, let's go to, let's see. I think it's Galatians chapter 1. Yep, yep. Paul is writing to the church at Galatia, but I don't think it's uh, the first few verses. Um, I'm just following the Holy Spirit tonight, and I'm telling you, it's it's... Amazing where he's taken us. So, okay, look at what Paul said in verse 15. But when he who had chosen and set me apart even before I was born, remember Saul of Tarsus? Saul? who persecuted the church, probably holding the clothes of the young men that stoned Stephen to death in Acts chapter 7. He was probably there with, we don't know for sure, but there's one point where Paul refers to being an eyewitness to Jesus. He could have been a part of the Sanhedrin during that time because he was, he was a Pharisee. But it says, when he who had chosen me before I was born and had called me by his grace, his undeserved favor and blessing saw fit that was pleased to reveal his son within me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles as the glad tidings I did not confer with flesh and blood with any frail human being or communicate with anyone. But the Spirit of the Lord gave him the anointing to preach that message. Now let's think about covenant for a minute. <clears throat> The covenant of the book of Hebrews uh, or, or the old, old covenant, you know, we call it Old Testament, New Testament. It's really an old covenant and a new covenant. And when we think about the old covenant, there are many covenants that God made. One was with Adam and Eve. That was the Adamic covenant that he made. And he blessed them. They had no lack. The only thing that that they needed was there to depend upon God. But, but God don't have robots. So, so out of his deep, passionate love, he gave them a choice. And today we have a choice. And the way he presented that choice was putting a tree in the garden 
there was two trees, the tree of life. They could have ate of that tree. They could have chose that tree and live forever in that state. And we might be in that respect, you know, we, you know, we, we got this tent right here that's going to fold up one day and we're going to get a new one. But you understand that they had choice. God told them, told Adam, said, in the day you eat that tree, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day you eat that tree, you'll die. Well, they didn't die immediately. But that death he's talking about is being separated. You'll be separated from the source of life. It's kind of like Paul's talking about living in the flesh. If you follow after the flesh. It's like a picture frame that's beautiful, but there's no image in it. The picture frame's beautiful. It's really amazing. It's like that's the flesh, but there's no image. It's like if we live by the flesh, there's no, there's no picture. It's just a frame. But but. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, when they ate the, it wasn't the eating the fruit. It was believing the lie. Because here's what the devil tempted them with. The one thing they didn't have. The one thing. He knew it. And people still are, they deal with that and, and, and it's very futile. Paul said, it's futile to live by the flesh. Now we're in the flesh. And God gave us the flesh to express the spirit. The, the, that's the portrait. That's the beauty of the portrait that he gives us through the new birth and the Holy Spirit. In that covenant, gives us the ability to express the work of God, the, the love, the Holy Spirit working in us. To, to be the spirit of truth is what Jesus called him and, and the, the God, the counselor. So... When you think about covenant in the old covenant, there's many places that when, when, when they sinned, they were separated and it was years before they died. And humans still continue from that race, but we still die because this flesh is temporary. It's temporary. We grow old, but we're aged because we're in time. So, what, what was so devastating is God didn't, you know, what he said to them when they're hiding, probably in the fig tree, because they sewed fig leaves together. They're probably hiding in the fig tree. That'd be the best camouflage, wouldn't it? You know why? Because all of a sudden it awakened their conscience. They saw their nakedness. And they began to know between good and evil and they begin to feel the shame. And so they sowed the, and their conscience was awakened. Let me tell you, unless the Holy Spirit has charge of our conscience, our conscience is unreliable. Because there'll be times when your conscience will say, well, you're pretty squeaky clean today. And the next day, your conscience may call into question some things, right? Uh, I'm Maybe the only one, but but it, yeah. Some things I felt like I should do that I didn't do. My conscience wants to bring me guilty. 
So I say, Lord, for as many as are led by the Spirit, they're the sons of God and daughters of God. So, so we see here a beautiful picture. I don't want my conscience to be in charge of where I go. I want the Spirit to be in charge. The Holy Spirit. It's amazing. So when they were, God said, where are you, Adam? And, and who told you you were? Their conscience did. Right? Their conscience told them they were naked. They woke it up. When they ate that fruit, it awakened their conscience. And we know that uh, covenant is so important. Um, there's another covenant let me talk about a little bit that's pretty amazing. You know, God made a, a covenant with Abraham. What's really amazing is he calls Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, and they, they practiced, they were pagans. They practiced, even Abram was exposed to child sacrifice. Why do you think God said, take your son? Because he knew what he's talking about, and he didn't hesitate because he knew, well, maybe God's like this. Yeah. That's possible. <laughs> That's possible. And so, so he made that covenant with Abram, and, and, and the amazing part is, is on the sacrifice. You know, uh, the theologians, real Bible scholars say Isaac was probably in his 30s. What's an old man going to do with a 30 year old? But that son was submitted to his father. He was obedient. And, and just before God said, don't, I've already got this. I'm going to provide the sacrifice. You, you know, that's not pointing just to the ram. The ram was a, a greater picture of a covenant that was coming. Covenant means to cut. It, it, it means to, and it was always a blood covenant. And then the Old Testament that Abraham knew what covenant meant. So people would come in usually to covenant. They would have a representative to witness it. And that representative had to be the one to kind of enforce it and, and to make sure every, both parties kept their end of the, the covenant. It's more than a contract. Understand it's a covenant is not a contract because a contract is signed by both parties and it's a legal binding document that anybody can break the contract and might be costly, but you can break the contract. But a covenant you can't break. There's no word for breaking the covenant. When the United States took the Sioux land, they, they had come into covenant with the Indians but the United States broke their covenant. And the Indians were confused because there's even no word in their language to describe a broken covenant. So we see covenants all down through the scripture. I want to tell you a couple that was really a blessing to me when I began to read about it. Remember David and Goliath? Okay, so Goliath is probably nine feet tall and... The Philistines had come to fight the Israelites to, to take them captive and to kill them. And Saul was the king. He's the first king. Crazy Saul. 
And uh, he's a big man. He's a tall guy. And uh, so when the Philistines came, you know, I've told you about being at the Valley of Elah where the battle took place, the two mountains, and there's a whole crop of paprika peppers. And my daughter's dad talked me into taking a bite out of the end of one of those things. And, and I mean, it was just peppers everywhere, far as you could see down through the Valley of Elah. And I won't do that again. Because <laughs> I like hot sauce, but that put me in tears and I didn't have enough water. So, so in that valley, Goliath would come out. And this happened for six weeks. This was going on for six weeks. Goliath came out representing the Philistines. It was Goliath. They were, the, the army was in, that's his champion. They're in him. It's just like they were coming out. But it was him by himself. He was, he was saying to Israel, give me a champion to fight. Give me your champion. Well, they were terrified. None of them. They'd run back and hide in their tents, and, and, and Saul was in the tent. So one day, David's not old enough to be in the army, but old Jesse says to David, I want you to go check on your brothers and see how the battle's going and take these gifts, this, this, this food for them. And, yeah. and, and so he comes to the valley about the morning, because Goliath would come out every morning and every evening. To challenge Israel. And, it, and it, he showed up about the time Goliath showed up in the valley to begin to mock Israel and defied their God. David hears it. <laughs> he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, what did he have that they didn't understand? What did David have as a youth, all he had was a slingshot and a rock. What, what, what did he know? He had some experience with covenant. He was in a Davidic covenant with God. So he said to Saul, and Saul couldn't refuse him because he said, let me go out and fight him. And Saul couldn't refuse him, so he puts his armor on him, and we know David lumbers out. He said, I can't go with these. <laughs> Don't ever let somebody put something on you that you weren't meant to carry. Don't let them put a call on your life. Don't let them put, dress you up. I like what Chase told me when I walked in. He said, he, said, uh, he heard somebody say, beware of those preachers that come in three-piece suits. I wear them sometimes, but... <laughs> <laughs> what? The GQ preachers. What does that mean? Gentlemen's Quarterly. Gen Gentlemen's Quarterly. <laughs> so I love, you know, I've been wearing suits a long time, so I, I take this advantage of the hoodies. I love the hoodies and the, and the tennis shoes, and I, I love that. So David comes, and he hears Goliath, and he says, let me go fight him because he's in covenant. And we know from experience 
David comes to the valley. He's dancing. Goliath is down there. David's dancing around behind him. I don't, he probably down there pretty close to him. And he don't see him yet because he's a whole lot smaller than what he expected. And then I think he spots him. David looks up at him and says, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And this day, I'm going to take your head and your flesh is going to be fed to the birds. Bird food. So, you know what? how he could say that? How? He's not wishy-washy. David is not running back and forth. What? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's not, it. Oh, he's not buying it. Absolutely. He, he's looking, and he's looking in the natural. But see, he's representing the Philistines. If they lose, the Israelites can take them as slaves. If Israel lose, then the Philistines could take them. So David comes down. He is representing all Israel. He's representing even the ones who weren't in the battle were at home. David is representing all of Israel. Every man, woman, boy, and girl. He's standing in that valley representing them. But he also knows who he has covenant with. Come on. You, you see where I'm going? He... He, he, we know he takes that rock. There's a little opening in Goliath. They would wear feathers on their helmets to make them look bigger. And so there's a little opening up here on, on Goliath's head somewhere. And, and, and David, with skill and probably a little help from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> laser, yeah, yeah. That's it. Hits him right there. And he falls forward. You know what that's a symbol of? Falling forward is a symbol of submission. And, and then, then all of Israel's army, they see what happened. David took his own sword, Goliath's sword, and cuts his head off. And the Philistines begin to flee. And Israel begins to pursue them because now it's like they won. Come on. It's like they fought the battle and they killed Goliath. And now they understand something that they didn't know before. Because they saw David be a witness to covenant with the God who is all powerful. Then let me tell you another story. This other story about covenant comes from Joshua chapter 9 and 10. If you want to read it. Joshua chapter 9 and 10, there's a group of people. Joshua and the, and the children of Israel are in Canaan, the promised land. They're there. They, they've already defeated some of the, the pagans, uh, the Canaanites and, and some of the others. But there's a group of people just over the hill, not too many miles from where Joshua and the people are camped, called the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites know they're headed in their direction. So they come up with a plan. They they put on rags, take moldy, stale bread and put it in their bags. And they go into the camp of Joshua and say, we've come for many days. They just come across the hill. They lied because they had a plot. They said, we've heard how your God delivered you out of Egypt 
We've heard of all the exploits of how every enemy is defeated before you. So we want to come in covenant with such a God-blessed people. And without checking out their story, the elders, Joshua, they said, okay, we'll make covenant. It means this is what the covenant meant. You can't kill us. You, You can't fight us. But when you come in covenant with us, everything you own belongs to us. Now, these are pagans. These are people who were idolaters who did atrocious things. And they're plotting with the people of God. And they, Joshua and the elders, without checking out the story, bring them into covenant. Bring them into covenant. They go back over the hill, take off their rags and say, we did it. (laughs) We did it. We're going to be all right. They got us because they're going to honor their covenant. That there's no way they're going to break. Because what they did, they brought God into it. When they made covenant with the Gibeonites, they brought God into it. And Joshua, this is how serious covenant is. It's it's a really major thing that that I, I think it's that something like, man, when I begin to meditate on this, my, my tank gets full. And, and I realize, man, it's unequal because I don't have much to offer. But he's not doing it because of what I have to offer. He's doing it because of who he is and how much he loves me. So, so they, here's what happens. The Amorites hear about their covenant, the Gibeonites, that, and they're infuriated. They're mad. So they bring an innumerable, a, a, a huge army, and they're going to they're gonna defeat the Gibeonite. They're going to, they're gonna, out of revenge, they're going to wipe them out. So Gibeonites send a letter to Joshua. They said, we're in covenant. You've got to fight for us and defend us because we're in covenant. You can't break the covenant. Joshua goes to the Lord and says, what do we do? And the Lord says, go out and fight because I'm going to deliver them into your hands. Here's the cool part. Joshua and the army goes out, defeats the Amorites who had outnumbered the Gibeonites, would have have wiped them off the face of the map. Because they're in covenant, Joshua and the elders honor the covenant because that's how serious it is. And, And so here's what Joshua does. He brings the Gibeonites, makes them servants because <laughs> of their, their treachery and their lies. They make them servants and they serve the priest of the Lord. Wow, man. Here, here's an amazing, beautiful picture of covenant. So imagine being in, you know, when Jesus died on the cross. It was amazing because if you read Paul in the first in 1 Corinthians, it said, had they known it, the princes of this world would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I know a lot of people, and I've heard it preached, I probably came close to doing that kind of stuff myself, talking about that God had to, Jesus had to come between us and God, and God had to pour his wrath out on somebody. And since, since Jesus volunteered that he wouldn't pour it out on me. That's not what the Bible says. You got to read the Bible. 
In Isaiah 53, it said, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. Which that word esteem means we reckoned, we decided. But then there's a conjunction. But it means he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. If anybody's wrath, you understand that the wrath of the people, the, the religious people, is what nailed him to the cross. The wrath, it was us. But do you know when he died? Here, here's the amazing thing. I never saw it, Chase, till I began to, it was like the Holy Spirit began to open this up to me. That, that what they didn't know, they, didn't, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But what happened is when blood was shed, what, what people would do in the old days, they would actually uh, do a blood covenant and would, would raise their arms and say, if, if I break this covenant, I'm going to be dismembered like this animal sacrifice. Jesus, here's the cool part. Jesus brings us into covenant. While he's hanging on the cross, he brings us into covenant with his father. Before the found, Paul said before the foundation of the world, he was crucified. Somebody said God looked all over heaven. No, he didn't. You think God had to convince Jesus? Now, son, we got a problem. <laughs> I mean, they got a mess down there. I need you to go. No, he didn't. Jesus, Father and Son, Holy Spirit, this beautiful love, they wanted to bring us into that love. So when Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, they pierced his side, blood and water. Here's a picture of the church, of you and me. Whew. He brought us into covenant. And through our faith in him, that's why Peter could say to the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved in your house. Sojo, completely, absolutely protected. You'll be supplied everything you need. There'll be no lack. Now, let me tell you something about covenant. Paul says in the book of Corinthians, every promise of God in him, in who? Jesus, the one that made covenant for us. They are yes and amen. Every promise. Let me tell you something about the Father. Three things about this covenant. There is love, strength, and faithfulness. If you have strength and faithfulness without love, you got something cold and insignificant. If you got love and no strength and faithfulness, you got romance. You got something that's fallible. When you got them all three together, lamentations while the children of Israel are in Babylonian captivity, Jeremiah writes. It's because of your mercies has said. We're going to talk about that next week. The word has said. Because of your has said, we're not consumed. Your has said is new. That's love, strength, faithfulness, mercy. It's new every morning. 
great is your faithfulness. Well, we could go over to Isaiah 54, where he said, the hills may depart, the mountains may be removed, but I will never take my said away from you. So I want to, I want to drive with a full tank. I don't want to risk it. I, I, I've understood something. I told my daughter tonight when she asked me what I was going to talk about, I said, I'm going to talk about covenant. She said, well, he said, she said, I'm, I'm getting there. She said, she, she's in a place because religion has really done a number. Come on. I'm telling you. And she was teaching but, but let me tell you something else. She said, I said, you, I said, it's not about, she said, I'm getting there. I said, it's not about you getting there. It's about you realizing you're already there. You're in covenant and he is faithful. So I want to be aware. I want to acknowledge him. And I want you to understand something. He will never break his covenant. Hebrews 13, 5. I'm going to close with that. Would you give me a moment to close with this? Is that all right? Let's pray. Any questions? Anybody got a question? Hebrews 13, 5. And the Amplified. Verse 13, yeah, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Pray for me. I, gotta, I don't have, yeah, 13, there we go. I love this. The writer of Hebrews says, let your character, that's uh, from Marvin Vincent Word Studies, or moral disposition be free from the love of money including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you nor give you up, <clears throat> nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not, says it, all three times. I will not. Three negatives. In any degree, leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down. Relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. That's a covenant keeping God. There's another verse that said he's ever mindful of his covenant. So sometimes in my prayers, I say, thank you, Lord, for being a covenant-keeping God. I'm coming to you out of covenant. I have covenant with you, Lord. And you're faithful to that covenant. And I give you, I'm telling you, it's amazing. So I love you dearly. I'm so greatly, grateful that you're here. If you don't have any questions, I want you to stand with me. <laughs> Do what? Say that again. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. 
Amen. Amen. I'm delighted that you came. And uh, I hope that you're being blessed by the Word. Because the Word is, the real Word is, I mean, the Word is an expression of the Word, Jesus. It's His heart to us. So I want to bless you in Jesus' name. I want to tell you that you don't have to convince God. There's, no, there's nothing you have to do to jump through the hoops like the guy's letter. Nothing you have to do to make God say, wow. Because he looks at you and he says, wow. They're mine. That's not pride and arrogancy. That's humility. That's a, that's a humility of his love for us. So, Father, in the name of Jesus... Thank you, Lord, for bringing us into covenant. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for the blood that you shed and the, the cross that you bore. And thank you, Lord, for the shame and the, and the mockery and all the stuff you went through for us. But, Lord, we're glad that you sit at the right hand of the Father and we have joint seating with you because we're in covenant. Lord, we thank you. Now, Holy Spirit, we pray, bring us to a deeper knowledge of Jesus. And show us the face of the Father. Lord, no man can come to you, Jesus, except by the Spirit. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're leading us deeper and deeper. Now we pray, Lord, that you'll just reveal to us what we need to know. Remove any trace of darkness in our lives and unravel anything that's not true. And Lord, let it be uh, illuminated. And God, let it become so phosphorus, so beautiful. Uh, of a light in us that your light shines as we become the light and the darkness. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. God bless you.